Now, as Jim, I'm rather, as we receive our offering, let me tell you a little bit about our ministry before Jim comes. We'd love to stay in contact with you. Best way to do that is to, to hit us up on social media, Facebook and Instagram. If God speaks to you today and God says something to you, would you let us know that? Would you just go on our Facebook and write to Jim and say, hey, Jim, man, God really spoke to me today or God saved me today or did this in my friend's life or my spouse's life. Or, man, Pastor Sal is the best-looking cowboy hat I've ever seen in my life. You Texans know how to dress. <clears throat> Let us know. Go to our website. We have, we have Bible studies for brand-new believers. Jim has, has some awesome hunts that we have filmed. Uh, one of the, the latest one up there is called Redemption, where he goes to Alaska and harvests a uh, brown bear. And, uh, but more importantly than that, what does it mean to be redeemed? Uh, on one of his latest hunts, he gets, to, he gets to lead one of his guides to the Lord and what all that meant. You need to get on our website. Be a part of our community. Spread the word. This is free. We would like to do this every single day, every night of the week, until we either die or Jesus comes back. If you would, if you would talk about us, the only way that we get these things is, is word of mouth. We did one in Grace Church in Houston. That's how your pastor found out about this. So please help us very, very much if you would. Now, <clears throat> Jim was a member of my church 15 years before he got hit by that, that grizzly. All my preaching that I've ever done with him never really reached him. So God sent an 800-pound grizzly bear. My advice to you is listen to what you hear today. <laughs> It'll be a lot less painful than an 800-pound grizzly bear. And you might die. God trying to get your attention. And that doesn't need to happen because if God gets your attention today, you live. We all have bears. Addictions and fears and phobias and parents and whatever. There is a man, his name is Jesus, who rose again after paying for all of our bears and conquered every one of them, and today you can be free from that. Let's pray and ask Jim to come up and lead us now. Father, we thank you that you use days like this to change the course of our life. I pray a spiritual point of strategic inflection would be buried in our hearts, and we would turn around, and that you would use Jim's story and that that would become our story, Lord, that we would relate to that, and we would see that Jesus is the ultimate conqueror of everything in our lives. Bless Jim now and open up our hearts and minds. In Christ's name, amen. amen. All right. How y'all doing? Wow. We had a great service this morning. I'm excited to see you guys here. Man, yesterday, y'all are firing me up. I, you, you have these mountains, and, man, gosh, it's so beautiful. I mean, I... Yeah, we have concrete. Um, our, 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 biggest, our biggest mountain is an overpass. I mean, we, 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 if you come to visit Texas, we send you someplace where you like watch bats come out from underneath the bridge, and that's like really cool. Uh, but just thank you guys so much. The, the hospitality, everything is just, it's second to none. And I said yesterday, you know, it's interesting how we get our our stimulus in our minds. You know, we, if you want to know what's going on somewhere where you are not, you can read a newspaper, which could be a little bit jaded. You can turn on ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, Fox News, whatever, and they give you their opinion. 
And I can assure you of one thing. In 2021, Sal and I traveled to, well, we did over 50, 52 bear man testimonies all across this beautiful country of ours. And I'm going to make one thing crystal clear with you. There isn't anything that I see coming across those television sets that is remotely close to the loving, caring, open folks that we see in every one of these cities that we go to across the United States, just like we are here today. I'm sure that what it is they put on there exists somewhere. And I'm sure that the person sitting behind the desk telling you about it's never been there. But I can assure you of this, we went last year, as Isaiah 6, 8 said, and the Lord said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. We went last year. That's my favorite scripture. We went. We don't ask where. We just go. We don't quantify where it is. We, we've been, we've been to, to, to wealthy parts of town, and we've been to trailer parks. It doesn't matter. But you know what matters? Is that when we get there, every single person dotes and loves on each other. Amen. And it's just, it's just amazing the stimulus that we get, and we're going to talk about it today, is that you, know, you are what you take in. It's just like you are what you eat, right? Well, it's the same thing in what you take in. We have to be so careful. Because we think as adults, but we have the ability to manage that. Mm, really, do we? Have you ever sat down and talked to somebody that's glued to CBS? Might have a difference of opinion. We think that we can manage it as adults, but yet we let our children watch it. I mean, the best thing that we let our children do is play video games on how to blow each other up, really? I mean, that's not like Atari and all those games we used to play when we were kids. We are what we take into our head. And we make the decision what it is we put in our minds. What are we going to read? What are we going to do every single morning? I'll, tell, I'll give you the good news for you is that I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. And I certainly ain't no prophet. I get in trouble every single time I go home with Pastor Sal because I say something that's not right and not biblically correct, and I get hammered. And the, the bad news for me is today is I'm sure by the end of this service, I'll put my foot in my mouth. I got a two and a half hour ride home with this guy. <laughs> we got to be so mindful of that. You know, I, I'm a firm believer. In, I'll give you a little. I've never told anybody this. That grizzly bear was just the beginning. It took six years, almost seven now. That happened in 2015. Almost seven years later before I'm here speaking with you and feel comfortable about my faith. Do you know when it started changing for me? I'm going to give you a really interesting tidbit. Do you know when my life started changing? When I got up in the morning and I gave God the first of my morning. Life started changing. I used to get up and say, okay, I'm going to spend time with God after I uh, read the paper and after I check Facebook and Instagram and see how many people like me. And then I went a little bit to a God. But then my time was up because I spent too much time worried about myself and what was going on in the paper that I only had a little bit of time left. God. So I put God at the forefront. You know what happens now? You know how many times in the morning I read a newspaper? Never. 
Do you know how many times in the morning I get onto Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or all those things that can be an addiction? I don't. Because God says, thank you for your attention. Let me show you what I got for you today. And all of a sudden, it's like iron started to bam, bam. I will call Pastor Sal at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> and say, can you believe this? Can you believe this? If you want God to radically change your mind, put him first. Yard contact information is in the back of that book. If any of you would just take that challenge, I don't care if you get up at 3 or 6 or whatever your schedule is, get up a little earlier. Put him first, and what starts out as a couple minutes, he'll get you going an hour, I promise you that. And shoot me an email, and let me know how it works out. Because it'll be radical change. I'm talking radical change. Because that journey started a couple years ago, and now I have to go work out in the morning with Sal. He makes fun of me. And that's my cutoff to go work out after I'm, done, after I'm done giving Christ the first of my morning. It's an amazing transformation. And I would challenge, it'd be a great challenge, it'd be a great church challenge to have everybody do a commitment. Because, you know, it's about accountability. Why do I work out with a trainer? I don't work out with a trainer because I don't know what to do when I get to the gym. Anybody knows what to do when they get to the gym. I mean, there are some people that just walk around professionally, and I wonder why in the world are they there, but most people know what to do when they get to the gym. I have a trainer because I know I can come up with 5,000 excuses why not to get out of bed before my finger touches the alarm clock. But I'm a tightwad, and I'm not going to waste 50 bucks to have this guy go, you didn't show, thank you for the money. That's why I have a trainer. That's called accountability. Why do I work out with Sal? Because when I'm tired and I don't want to go, he doesn't care. <laughs> An accountability partner is not someone to get there and feel bad with you. They're about the person that says, I don't really care. Get out of bed. Amen. That's an accountability. It would be awesome to have a church accountability of who says that they want to give the first of their day to Christ. They get up and they put their name on a sheet of paper. And then they come in here every single Sunday and they mark off, did you do what you said you're going to do? And you have an accountability partner. So if you put your name, I put my name up there and I check it. You're like, mm. he didn't do that. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Erase, erase. <laughs> and it'd be awesome because you know what? It's only painful for 30 days. Why? Anything you do for 30 days becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. A great, great challenge. Let me know how it works out. That was a, that was a total sidebar. All right, we're going hunting today. How many hunters do we have in the room? Oh, yeah, much more than the first service. Uh, keep your hands up. How many of you guys are uh, uh, bow hunters? Raise your other hand so you got two hands up. All right, then the rest of you must be rifle hunters. Okay. <laughs> so on this particular hunt, I'm a kind of person that I like to, I'm a story guy. I don't like sitting down with somebody and having them tell me how the cow ate the cabbage. Uh, that's not the way I learned. I learned by you take me on a journey. And today, we're just going to go on a journey together. So you can pretend that for the next 30, 40 minutes, that we're just going hunting together. And you're with me. And it starts with what? Packing, right? So the, for those of you who don't want to go, you can sit and listen. And for those of you who do want to go, you need to get packed up, pack light. I can't stand over packers. 
It's about a 15 to 20 day trip. That to me is one or two pair of underwear max. <laughs> so if you're the kind of person that's got a 15 day hunt, you need two more than two pair of underwear, stay home and sit in the chair and listen to this trip. <laughs> if you want the largest moose in the world, you can, you can go after them in Alaska or you can go after them in Canada. If you're gonna go in Canada, you can go on the west side of the McKinsey Mountain Range in the Yukon, or you can go on the east side in the Northwest Territories. I chose for this particular hunt to go to the Northwest Territories. And for those of us who are, who are geographically challenged, you go from Houston to Edmonton, that's the long journey. Edmonton to Yellowknife, the cities are getting duke, duke, duke smaller. Yellowknife to Norman Wells, and then in Norman Wells, did you pack up? Are you going with me or are you staying home? Same. All right. Did you pack? Are you going with me? Cool. You ever been on a float plane? Cool. Me neither. Anybody else in here been on a float plane? Yeah. Well, you have that. Planes to me shouldn't take off and land on water, but this does. We're going to take off out of Norman Wells. We're going to go southwest in the McKinsey Mountains. We're going to be up in the air for a couple hours, two hours, two hours, 20 minutes. He's going to take that float plane. You're just flying right over the tops of the mountains. I mean, just right tops. And it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And you look out your, the left side of the airplane and you see a, a lake about the size of a football field and he just banks that plane right around that mountain and lands it right on that, right on that lake and he parallel parks it to the, to the shore. I didn't know a float plane could parallel park. Did you? Me neither. Parallel parks it, man. When you get off, it's, it's quick. Your guide gets in your ear. My guide's name is Jordan. He says, man, we got to pack up our, we got to get rations. I got to get a rifle. We got to get a tent. You got to pack up your, your bag. We'll be gone for seven days. Get your bow ready. Get it sighted in. Yada, 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 yada. It's like stimulus overload. Because you're going out on a helicopter that day. And if they miss, if you miss your name when you're called, you go to the bottom of the list. If you go to the bottom of the list, you probably won't get out today. And you have to wait till tomorrow. I don't like to miss anything. Do you? You're going with me, right? All right, so I, I mean, second place to me is like first place loser, right? So Jordan, we, brought, we run into this steel silo. It's got a cornucopia of food. And he's like, do you have any preferences on sugar? I'm like, no, carbohydrates, no. And I said, look, you just pick out the food. I'm going to go pack up my stuff, and we'll cut this time in half. We said, man, fantastic. Getting everything together, man. You hear your name, Van Steenhouse. We jump on the, jump on the helicopter. We're flying around. It's beautiful. The scenery is beautiful. You're seeing moose. You're seeing sheep. It's just gorgeous. And all of a sudden, he sets us down on the oxbow of a riverbed. And all our gear is on the ground, and you can feel the, the rotor kicking up water and sand in your face, and the helicopter is flying off. And I'm looking down, and I'm staring at a paw print about this big. And I said, uh, hey, Jordan, come over here a minute. Is that, is that a grizzly print? And he looked at me, he comes over, he looks, he looks at me, he says, yes, sir, we're going to stay away from those. I was like, yeah, okay, roger that. <laughs> you know, there's a great quote by Gordon Hinckley, resident Mormon. I won't hold that against him. <laughs> you will come to know today that what appears to be a sacrifice will turn out to be the greatest investment that you ever made. <clears throat> Let me kind of put that in perspective, because it almost goes with Ernest Hemingway's quote, the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why. Right? And if you think about life, life is full of peaks and valleys. Some of you may be on a peak right now. 
Maybe there's a husband and all the husbands raise your hand. Maybe you're one of those husbands that got out of bed this morning and your wife said, if you lost weight, you look incredibly good. <laughs> Maybe you just got a raise. Maybe you just got a new car. Maybe your children just got all A's. I don't know. Maybe, you're on a, maybe it's an emotional high for you. Maybe some of us are in a valley right now. Maybe we just lost our job. Maybe some of our coworkers have lost their job and we're fearful that we may be next. Maybe a pay cut. Maybe the kids are struggling. Maybe, maybe there's some, some bullying going on in school and, and you just feel helpless as a parent. Maybe the relationship isn't what it used to be. And that's a valley. But I will assure you of one thing today. When that grizzly bear attacked me on September 10th, 2015, that was a valley. That was not an enjoyable experience. And I had somebody ask me after a testimony. We did a Q&A. They raised their hand in the back. I said, yes, sir. He said, if you could go back in time to September 10th, 2015, right before that grizzly bear attacked you, would you change the outcome? You know, if I went back and changed that outcome, in 2021, Pastor Sal and I would have not have seen over 1,000 people give their life to Christ. Do you know that if I go back in time and change that outcome... In 2021, as you just heard Pastor Sal talk about, there would not have been 160,000 children in Kenya give their lives to Christ. You know, our valleys is the sharpening grounds. You think about the valleys in your life. If you've been through one and you're out of it, would you go back and change it? Probably many of you would not. And I can assure you, if you are in the valley today, you know, the Lord, Ephesians talks about, you know, God's armor. God can control any arrow that Satan sends your way, all of them. And there will be an occasional arrow that slips through your armor and sends you into the valley. And we have two choices that we get to make. It's called, I call it a binary choice. It's like voting for president. It's a binary choice. It's this or that. It's binary. You don't have to think any harder than that. When you are in the valley and an arrow is sticking through your armor and it hurts and it's painful. The two choices are, oh, woe am I. Who caused my problem? Who's at fault for my problem? Or we can get on our knees and say, Father, this hurts. This is bad. Father, I don't know what to do in this marriage. Father, I don't know what to do with my children. Father, I don't know what's going on with my parents. Father, I don't know what's going on with my job. But Father, this arrow is stuck in me for a reason that Satan shot over. And, and that armor was peeled back and it's stuck in me for a reason, Father. And I'm on my knees and I'm asking you to show me that reason. Yep. Those are the two choices we have. It's just like giving God the first of your day. It's so easy to fall into the choice of whose fault caused the situation that I'm in and whose fault is it that I'm in the valley. But if we can give God the first of our day and help God help us understand why we're feeling the pain that we are in, I will assume, I will make the assumption right now that when we come back and test on your, your, your give God the first of your day, if you give God your problems and say, teach me, that your whole mindset will have changed. Your whole mindset will have changed because the devil's in your ear going, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Are you kidding? It's, it's, it's your kid's fault. Man, it's your, the reason you feel this way is because you're your wife. The reason you feel this way is just because your husband, he's just a dummy. That's what the devil's saying to you. 
The devil loves fighting. Why? Because he hates you. He hates every single one of you. God made Satan so close to him. So just not that much less. So perfect he made Satan when he was up there in heaven. So perfect. But he wanted more and more. So I want to be like you. He got prideful. Boom, gone. He's the prince of this earth. You cannot fight him alone. You cannot. It is impossible. If you say, God, I can take this on myself, that's the biggest gift that God gave us. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the hardest gift to manage. It's called free will. It is the best gift God ever gave us. But it is the hardest to manage. Why do we need free will? Because if we couldn't freely choose to follow Jesus Christ, then it's an insurance policy. That choice has got to be ours. And the devil works on that free will every single day. We must manage it properly. All right, that was free too. How many people have daughters? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> As I was getting ready to go on this hunt, my daughter came You're right there. Perfect. My daughter came up to me and says, Dad, I have really good news for you. I'm doing pedicures in the kitchen. Would you like one? Amen. And what's your answer? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because in my mind, I'm thinking... Who's ever going to see my toes? I'm going to the Northwest Territories of Canada. Y'all remember this picture. It will come back to us. There's a picture out of the float plane, the mountains. That's our tents. Gord Jordan and I were both squeezing that tent. On the first day and the second day, you're just really getting used to the altitude and climbing. On the second day of this hunt, oh, that's the third day. On the second day of this hunt, I will bring to mention... Right on the other, see this river right there? Right on the other side of this river, right up in here. Probably a couple miles away, we had a grizzly mulling around. I mean, this thing was like a speck in my binoculars. George was like, we really got to keep an eye on that. And I was like, it's a speck in my binoculars, who cares? And we had a moose, a cow, female, come right up this draw right here, which is fantastic because we were hoping that the bulls would be pleased that she's there and go check her out. And I went off, and, and I was glassing to the south. Jordan was glassing to the north and paying attention to the grizzly and the, and the cow. And he calls me over. He says, man, Steen, I'll get over here. Hurry up, grab your bow. I come running over there with my bow, and I'm standing there. And I'm like, what, what, what? And he goes, look, and that cow moose is just coming out of that draw, just like full steam. I'm like, that's weird. Did you scare her? He's like, no, I don't see her anymore. She's busting out. I don't see that grizzly. And no sooner did he say that, whoop, right up on that finger we were on, at about 70, 75 yards, that grizzly appeared. I have a bow in my hand. He's got a 44 lever action, which isn't the biggest rifle you'd like. He's standing there to my left. He says, if that bear takes a step forward, I'm going to put him right in the dirt in front of his face. And no sooner did he say that, just whoop, that bear started walking towards us. Man, he just threw one in that dirt, and that dirt exploded right in that bear's face, and then he charged. I mean, 70 went to 60, went to 50, went to 40. And it, it, you know, from right here to the back door, he threw another one in that 44 and hammered that grizzly right in the rib cage. It was so close, you could just hear that 44 slug just whack right to the side. That bear just lets out a screeching moan, spins, 
and then barrels off down into the willows. And it dawned on me at that very moment. I am not the alpha anymore. This is real. You know, you guys know a lot better than many others as you go hiking in the mountains. But everything out there, it seems, wants to get you. I don't care if it's a rock, a mudslide, anything. But that hunt became incredibly real, incredibly fast that day. On the third day we got up, we hiked probably two, two and a half miles away from our base camp we had set up. And I don't know about y'all, but I get bored pretty quick. Poster child for Ritalin, tension span of a lightning bolt, whatever you want to call me, right? Y'all do too, I know you do. And you can see I've got my sat phone behind my leg. And I figured out, I don't, I'm not a direction reader. Well, let me correct that. If the directions have pictures, I'll read it. I'll watch it or look at it, whatever that be called. If they come with, like, words, I'm not interested. I'm the guy that puts together the bike for his kids, and those parts are left over. Well, them are just extras, right? <laughs> you laugh because half of y'all are just like me. <laughs> the other half, you have the store put it together. <laughs> and I've grabbed this satellite phone that I've taken on hunts all over the world. And I'm just playing with this thing because I hadn't read the directions. I realized I could get my altitude, my latitude, my longitude. I realized that I could even text message my wife. And you know, on the day, it was just one of those quintessential beautiful days. We didn't get a moose that day. But the sun comes up, the sun goes down. We start heading back to camp a couple miles away, and Jordan starts to jog. And after about 50 yards, I grab him by the back and neck. I'm like, what are you doing? This is how I'm dressed. I just didn't leave the gym. He says, Van Steenhaus, when that sun goes down, you and I are low man on the totem pole. I did not have trouble running back to camp. <laughs> we got up on that fourth day, and it was freezing outside. I put on every piece of clothing I had. looked like the Michelin man. And for those of you who love to climb mountains, at base camp, you're always freezing. And then as soon as you go 50, 100 yards, you're, you're always sweating. Well, I put on every article of clothing I had, got about 100, 200 yards up the mountain, and I'm, like, starting to, like, die. And we got climbed eight, 900 feet to this little ledge on this finger. And Jordan's like, man, let's just drop our gear. We'll drop all of our gear. You take your bow. You take your binoculars. I want to climb up another three, four, five hundred 500 feet to the top of this finger so we can see on the other side. And, brother, you didn't have to ask me twice. I'm stripping clothes off like crazy throwing them in a pile, throwing my backpack down that I was sick and tired of carrying. Grab my bow, grab my binos, and we headed on up. We're just sitting there glassing. Jordan is to my left, just looking out over the beautiful valley. And I asked Jordan a question. And as he put down his glasses just to answer my question, he looked over at me, and as I said, he was on my left. And he looked at me and he said one word. He said bear. And you know, it's interesting. <laughs> if you don't run into the devil from time to time, you may have to question if you're running in the same direction. And people always ask me, you know, what, 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 what do you remember? Well, the truth of the matter is, I don't remember a lot. I'll tell you what I do remember. But before I put it all in perspective... I want you to understand what it is we're dealing with. We're talking about grizzly bears. 
You know, when I go to big cities like Houston or other, I won't call them out in case somebody wants to hammer me on Facebook. But you guys are a lot smarter because you understand how bears are. How bears are. When I do a bear man testimony in Houston, Texas, they're like, man, what's the big deal? I was just giving boo-boo a cracker at the zoo the other day, right? What, I don't understand. What's the big deal? Man, this ain't boo-boo. I got a video here of a couple of black bears fighting. And I want you to pay attention in the lower right-hand side of the screen. When the bear on the far right says, you know what, Frank, I've had enough of you. And watch the speed of which he fights. Check it out. Right, right there. You see that speed? I'll hit it one more time. Pay attention. Lower right-hand side. Coming up right about now. That's the speed that... And if you want to know what a grizzly looks like in the Northwest Territories, there's a paw. They're protected. They're a spiritual animal. The Inuits, the Eskimos, they've never been hunted. When they hear a rifle report, they don't run from it. They run to it. Why? Because more often than not, there's a carcass there. So that's a dinner bell. They can get speeds up to 37 miles an hour. They can smell food from over two miles away. They can bite with enough pressure to crush a bowling ball. Can eat over 90 pounds of food a day can weigh anywhere from 800 to 1,200 pounds and smell 2,100 times better than we do. They are the alpha. They are the alpha. When Jordan said bear, as I say, he's just, he's, we're sitting on the ground. He's right here. And he's looking. He's not looking at me. He's looking through me like I was just a piece of piece of glass or something. He's looking through me, and I looked over my right shoulder, and right here at my four o'clock was a mature boar grizzly bear. Jordan said probably about 800 pounds. He's got his, uh, you know, his head down. He's just rocking his head back and forth, and they'll curl their lips. They'll do a grunt sound, just kind of a, no, snap their teeth. I looked at that bear and I looked back at Jordan. Had he shouldered that 44 lever action, I just laid back and let him roll thunder right over me. But it was quick. It was bear. Back to Jordan. He ain't moved a muscle. And then I looked back at the bear. Man, he lunged. I'll tell you what I do remember. I remember looking into his eyes. And as it, it was as if I was staring straight into the eyes of the devil. I'll never forget the way that he smelled. He smelled like death. I remember thinking to my, distinctly remember thinking to myself, Lord, here I come. Please have me. That there was, I knew that there was no way, and there are probably a few of you in the room today that had something happen in your life where you knew that there was no way that you were going to live, but you did, but when that happened, you knew that there was absolutely no way you were going to live. And that's, what I felt, I said, Lord, have me here. I, I thought about my wife. I thought about my daughter. Just boom, boom. I have two sons. I didn't think about them. I don't know why they're on their own. <laughs> <laughs> I 
when he lunged, all I could think to do was roll my right shoulder over and put my hands on my head, which was the first thing that he went for. When canines sink into your skull, you don't hear that externally. You hear that internally. Now, when your hands get caught up in his mouth and they're breaking like twigs, that you hear externally. He hit me on my right shoulder, shoulder, right side, left side. Thighs and right calf. And then everything stopped. And I'm laying there with my head just planted against the ground. And I'm thinking to myself, this is amazing. Nothing hurts. And I opened my eyes. And out of the corner of my left eye, I could see that bear's nostrils right here. And I was like, oh, wow. You could see his nostrils just twitching, and I could feel the air pulsating in and out of his nose. And then he just took a step to his left, and he'd look back. And he'd take another step, and he'd look back. So now I'm thinking, where am I? When this accident started, I was up on this finger. Now I'm like, I hold my, kind of pick my head up, and I'm going into the pine trees, which is the, the MO. They take you down there, cover you up, bury you, let you soften up, come back and eat you. And I figured, man, I, do I stay and play dead or do I leave? I didn't know what the right decision was. I said, leaving sounds better than staying. And I got, I got up to my knees and it was raining outside and I went to wipe the water off my face and I brought up my hand and my fingers were going in directions that I had never seen before. And I threw my hand down and I pulled up my left hand and man, that was even worse. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I went to wipe the water off my face with my forearm, and I looked, and it wasn't water at all. It was blood. And I looked down, and it looks like I'd just gotten in a fight with Edward Scissor's hands. My clothes were completely shredded in the ground, and the moss, green moss, was just pooled with red blood. And then I was scared. I started, I started crawling up the mountain. And you slowly get to your feet, and you start stumbling. I'm going up, and I'm screaming Jordan's name because I don't know where he is. And I just want him to hear, I want to, I want to hear somebody say my name. I'm like, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. And finally I hear him report back, Jim. And we're getting closer and closer and closer. And all I wanted to do was ask him, get close enough and say, is my head okay? I don't know if it's scratched, dented, gone. And just as soon as I got up to him and I was going to ask him, is my head okay? I looked at him. He looks at me. He goes, holy, mm, the blank. And then I was petrified. You see, we not only had to go back up to where the accident was, we had to go all the way back down where we left our gear because we would be right back. Man, there are a lot of hands that went up here today for you hunters. I implore upon you that when you are out hunting, it doesn't matter how hot you are, how far you've gone, how tired you are, never leave your gear. Never Never drop your gear. We got back down to our gear. I just collapsed on my backpack. I could feel the blood just running down the back of my neck. By this time, it had soaked out the sides of my clothes and it went from camo to red. And Jordan had an in-reach system. You all know what those are. We'd go satellite back to base camp, and he would check this thing every morning, mid-morning, afternoon, mid-afternoon, evening. He pulls it out, and he fires it up. And I, I don't know what the situation was. I don't know if it was the Indian or the arrow. It doesn't matter. It just 
wasn't working properly or wasn't working fast enough. And I laid against my backpack. I said, Jordan, grab my satellite phone. I didn't read the directions, but on top of it, there's a little red button that I just saw the other day. Push it after you power it up, and I think they'll send the name. <laughs> so he takes my satellite phone, powers it up, hits the red button. And about 10 seconds later, we got a text message. Dear Iridium user, in order to use the SOS feature on your satellite phone, you must first pre-register. It's a free service, but required for it to work. <laughs> my second bit of advice, read the directions. <laughs> I said, Jordan, you're going to have to call my wife. From the McKinsey Mountains, in the Northwest Territories of Canada, Jordan, on that satellite phone that you just saw, called my wife, Elizabeth, in Houston, Texas. She was in the parking lot of a grocery store. Miss Van Steenhouse, my name is Jordan Wagner. Your husband has been attacked by a grizzly bear. I need you to write down the longitude and latitude as quickly as possible. And then the phone cut out. So you see the emergency system, somehow they were able to get her out themselves in. He gave them longitude and latitude as well. And then we just waited and waited and waited. You just feel the blood rush, keep rushing out of you. And then all of a sudden you hear in the distance in the canyon, just, you know it's a helicopter, you can hear it reverberating off the canyon. It's like, yes, 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 yes. And it goes down the canyon below us. We're up, you know, we're up, you know, 1,000, 1,200 feet. We're like, no. Blow us. No, 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 no. And comes back. Yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. And it goes this way. Like, no, no. Then all of a sudden, it felt like forever out of nowhere. Right up over that ledge, we had, I'm staring straight in the eyes of Stan, the pilot. And he takes the helicopter and he lands it right on that finger. We had a doctor in the hunting group. He shot a moose on the second day. And he jumps out and he comes to my side and he's asking me questions. In my mind, I'm answering his questions. And he looked at the guys and said, he's completely responsive. I was in shock. I didn't know I was in shock, but I was in shock. They threw me on backpacks upside down with the shoulder harnesses up and carried me over to the back of the helicopter, threw me in the back of the helicopter and stand the pilot and Dr. Bob Burley and they lifted off and they landed that helicopter back at base camp, and I'm laying in the back of that helicopter, and I can just feel the blood coming down now, and it's pooling up on the seat, and it's just kind of dripping over the side of the seat, and going down, and now there's just a puddle of blood on the baseboard now, and I'm just wondering when it's going to stop coming out of your sides, your legs, my head bleeds profusely, my hands are going in a different direction, they took plywood and they broke it, they laid my hand gently on the plywood, they put tape around them so the bones wouldn't get any ligaments or tendons, nerves. And Stan jumps in that helicopter and he picks up and he just takes off. He's taking off going somewhere I don't know where. When we came in, we were on a float plane coming over the top of the mountains. This time, he's got that helicopter, and we're just down on the base of this river. It felt like we were way too close to the river. I'm sure it was safe. 
But it just felt like the river is going to reach up, grab our helicopter, pull it in. I'm looking out the windows at the jagged rocks and the snow. We're so close, and that river is winding. When it would bust back one way, you could feel the G-force of the helicopter just pull it back. And I'm just in the back. I'm just looking out the window. It's just like everything wanted to grab that helicopter and smash it to the ground. I was petrified. And I was freezing cold. I don't know why I was so cold. I was just remember being ice cold. You look down, your, your shredded clothes are now red, and the blood's just dripping off of the chair, the bench, onto the floor, and it's just expanding on the floor as it coagulates. And I would nod my head, and I would just kind of go out for a while. And I would kind of back, too. I don't know how long I was out. I, you know, I don't know if I was going to sleep, passing out. Look, man, I'm not a doctor. And I would nod off, snap my head back, too. In one of those snapbacks, I'm looking out the window and I ask myself a very important question. I said, if I close my eyes again and I never am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You know, if you put yourself in a situation where you don't know if you will ever open your eyes again, that question becomes real, real fast. I panicked. I panicked in the back of that helicopter. Do you know why I panicked? Because in my mind, I knew the answer. I knew the answer. You either know the answer unequivocally, yes, I'm going to heaven. My name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you don't unequivocally don't know that answer is yes, that was a real problem for me at a very desperate moment. You see, all of my life, I had done nothing for this Savior. Zero. I blamed every, every one of my bad habits, and I had many of them. I blamed them on other people. Must have been my parents' fault. I grew up with a parent where nothing was ever good enough, and the other parent, that nothing was, nothing was ever done. Put them together and you get me and I'm blameful. And everything that I did in life, I just wanted to turn around after I did something and say, is this okay? And it never was. So I go back and do more and more. And I do more and more and it didn't matter who I would hurt. Because I'm chasing something that's impossible for me to get. And I just say more and more. And I just, if like I'm filling up this abyss, I get something awesome. I throw it in there, just hit vanish. And I'd be like, well, how big is this hole? I mean, I got all this stuff. Are you happy? Oh, you're not happy? I'll do more. Ladies and gentlemen, I hurt so many people, so many people, chasing my own selfish ways. Divorces, adultery, abortions, drugs, alcohol, rehabilitation. I owned a business, I didn't want to have friendly competition. I wanted to put my foot on the throat of my competition, choke them out, and steal their good people. I used to tell people I don't have time for friends. But the truth of the matter is, who wanted to be my friend? And in the back of that helicopter, I panicked. And at the peak of my panic, for the first time in my life, I felt the Holy Spirit come over me. You accepted Jesus Christ 
That is a true statement. When I was in the third grade of a tiny church in Wisner, Michigan, population probably about 50, in that basement of that tiny church, in the third or fourth grade, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I was there because my parents made me go to church. But I'll never forget being in that little room when I was a child. And the room, I can paint the picture. If I go back, I can paint the picture of what that room was. I can, I can smell the smell of that room where I gave my life to Christ. I remember it was... I remember it was a joyous day. I was just repeating John 3.16. I was happy as a child in that third or fourth grade period. I remember. But then for the next 50 years, I did nothing. That memory was so long gone. And at the peak of my panic and all of the people that I've hurt, and it just been a slave to selfishness, majored in the minors, minored in the majors. My life was an atrocity. At the peak of my panic, I felt the Holy Spirit say, Jesus Christ died for you. He died of your sins in the Sins today. Your sins in the future. It's not because you deserve anything. It's from his grace. He's got you. Imagine if you and I were friends. In 50 years of my life, we made friends when we were in the third grade. And you stood by my side. And for 50 years of my life, all I've done is mistreat you and hurt you and just be selfish. And and then the one time that I need you and I'm 53 years old and I call up and I say, can you help me? You're like, man, are you out of your mind? But our God says, I get all that. That's That's Satan. I know what Satan does. I overcame Satan. He took me into the desert and I stood up to him and he's gone and said he'll come back in a more opportune time. And if he ever comes back, I'll take him out then too. He understands what you go through. He gets it. He took 50 years of my life of doing nothing and said, I know the battle that you fought. I won it. And then I put my life on the cross for you because I know you couldn't do it. My father gave me for you and you and you and you. All of you. And I opened my eyes. And it was as if somebody put a warm blanket on my shoulders. I wasn't cold anymore. The mountains didn't want to trash that helicopter anymore. I looked out the windows and I saw God's majestic beauty. We did make it to Norman Wells. Norman Wells has a, uh, has a nursing station. They don't have a hospital. I was really happy to see those nurses. A couple pictures of me from Norman Wells Hospital they sent me. These are all in the book as well. My head tore up pretty good. That just missed my bronchial. If I would have hit, I wouldn't be here. I'm already home. This is like 60, 70 days after the accident. You can see the full curvature of the bear's mouth right here. That's a good one. That's seven inches long, over an inch and a half wide, and almost three inches deep. Like I said, bears don't play. They don't play. My hands, soft cast to hard casts, broken in multiple places on each hand. You know, they sent a medevac jet to get me in Norman Wells. Nicest airplane I've ever been on. It's like a flying hospital. In case, I hope you never have to ride on one. But in the event that you do, and it's in Canada, they will send you a bill for $22,500. 
arrive in Yellowknife and we go into surgery. Surgery lasts six hours. And then surgery, you know, there's, there's doctors and nurses, they're all over the place. You know, some are there to, to keep me comfortable. You're, on, you're awake the whole time, you're on morphine. So two surgeons, they start with your head. And there's a lady in the back of the room rattling off grizzly bear facts, a lot of them, which I already told you. And at one point during the night, she came over to my bed, and she was adjusting the feet of my bed, and she picked up my blankets, and she put them over my feet, and she's like, hey, man, what's up with your toes? Remember that? <laughs> I said, I can explain that. <clears throat> they stuck me up in a room. It's a small room, like from the middle of this hallway to the wall. And there's two curtains, one room here, one room here. There's two of us in the room, and I'm up in this room with a guy. His name is Dean Mandeville. He's because his bowels are blocked. Yeah, I'd rather be attacked by a grizzly bear and have my bowels blocked. They're either going to give him antibiotics to work that out, or he's got to have surgery. And Dean, Dean is a grumpy old man. He's like Walter Matthau, a grumpy old man, right? Where the nurse, literally, the nurses would walk into the room, and they would say, Mr. Mandeville, and he would grab things and throw it, and you'd hear it hit the curtain, like, thunk, 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 thunk. Then they'd be like, okay, how are you, Mr. Mandeville? And they would walk in, right? And this guy's just always on him, yelling and screaming. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And then one day, the, 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 the guy that brings the food in, he brings the, the food tray in. I said, man, brother, do you have any sugar? I love sugar. You got any candy bars? He looks at me in the situation, all the tubes running out of me and these things dripping inside me. He says, yeah, let me see what I can do, man. This guy goes downstairs, and about an hour later, he comes back to my room. He's like, Snicker, Milky Way, Reese's, boom, 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 boom. And I looked at him. I said, man, I'll never Hey, all my gears up. It's a really long story. He looks at me and says, you don't owe me anything. You're the bear man. That's how it started. <laughs> I'm laying in bed one of those nights, and I hear the Holy Spirit come over me. Get out of bed and go pray for Dean. I never prayed for anybody. I've told a lot of people I was going to pray for him. But as soon as I left that situation that made me feel awkward, I just needed to get out of there. I did what I thought every guy would do. I ignored it. I felt it the second time. Get out of bed and go pray for Dean. I did again what I thought every man would do. I ignored it again. I felt it the third time. Do you know that that evening, the Holy Spirit put on my heart to pray for someone that in my mind I made up was a very grumpy individual? That is true. And I listened to that inner voice of the Holy Spirit the third time. And as I shuffled from Dean's room back to my bed, he said, hey, bear man. I turned around, I said, that was my nickname for him. Spirit, it will guide you. It's like the Bible says, I'm right behind you. You'll hear me if you listen to me. I'll whisper in your ear, go left, go right. It'll guide you. I'm still friends with Dean Mandeville to this day. To this day, there's a picture of him there. That's his wife, Tina, his son, Michael. Tina was pregnant with Michael when I was in the hospital. That's their new son, Terrence. I don't know what 
Dean's walk is with our Lord and Savior. But I'll never stop praying for him. Because in my mind, there will be nothing more honorable than for the Lord to draw him someday where he has a relationship with Jesus Christ and I have the ability to be in the heaven with him for eternity. And we can sit on the porch and I would like the Lord to leave him in somewhat of a bad mood because that's kind of cool. <laughs> and we can sip coffee for eternity together talking about the time we spent in Yellowknife. Some of you may have people that you've been praying for for a long time and you're not seeing any change. And the devil's in your ear going, you're wasting your time. Why do you take time to pray for him or her or whomever? Nothing's ever going to change. I want to encourage you to never stop. Never stop. Reach out to me on the Facebook or Instagram or email me. Reach out to Pastor Sal. Reach out to your pastor. Man, I'm struggling praying for this person. I'm not seeing any results. They are just whatever it is. Never stop. My wife prayed for me for 15 years. Why she stayed married to me, I have no idea. I mean, God must have just chained her to me because I don't know why she was there. For 15 years, she prayed for me. After nine years, I got attacked by a grizzly bear. It took six years to get to this point. For every woman in this room, my wife will stand up until the day she dies and say, you never, never stop praying. How many times do you think she wanted to stop in 15 years? Where do you think I would be? She's probably the only person on the planet praying for me. But God heard her prayer. And it was a kind of a test of faith. Are you willing to pray for 15 years? Are you willing to suffer for 15 years? I don't know the reason. And it's his timing. It's not our timing. This is not drive-through Jesus. We don't go up to the window and say, change husband, please, $3.50. Next car, please. It's all God's timing. But we don't live in a world like that anymore, do we? We live in a world of instant gratification, social media, Facebook, Instagram. I want it now, and I want it. Like, it's the Queen song. I want it all, and I want it now. God's timing is not our timing. My wife prayed for me for 15 years. Keep praying. Husbands keep praying. Wives keep praying. You know, I got this shirt when I left Canada. I couldn't resist it. I got 57 staples in my head. My hands are jacked up. <clears throat> More stitches than you could count. And it's a grizzly bear chasing some stick man. And it's Canadian fast food. I still have that shirt in my drawer today. They got another one where it's a grizzly bear pulling a stick man out of a tent, and that's called Canadian takeout. <laughs> you know, as I told you at the beginning, there were seven members of that party, me and six other men. As you can see from that photograph, those six other men successfully killed what I consider to be a big, beautiful moose. There's a slot down there at the right for number seven, and that would be me. When I look at that slot, you know what I think of? I think of God. And you know why I think of God there? 
Because what does God tell us? Do not believe in the seen. It's about the unseen. I got something a lot better that day than the moose. I got a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I'm going to close this out in prayer. And as I do, before I do, I just want to thank you for having us up here. I don't care where your church ever is. You could be moved to Mongolia for all Pastor Sal and I care. We'll follow you to the ends of the earth until our quivers are empty and our shields are dented and damaged. You guys have, I meet a lot of pastors, but y'all have a man that made loves you guys. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Integrity is what you do when no one is looking. And I sat back there in the back and I watched him watching you guys. And the look in his eyes is like a mother when she looks over her infant. The infant doesn't know the way that mom is looking at him. But you know the love in her eyes. May loves you guys. He loves you guys. And I want to challenge you to just be warriors for Christ. Pastor Sal and I have, I can't speak for Pastor. He's closer to going to see the Lord, I hope, than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Our goal is, may I be carried out on my dented and damaged shield. What does that mean? That means that I've done everything for Christ that I could possibly do on this planet. And my quivers are empty. Like the Apostle Paul, I can give no more. Because someday when you show up in heaven, you will open your eyes and the Lord will look at you and say, well done, my faithful servant. I'm going to close this out in prayer. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Whew, let's get both of our feet on the floor. Let's get grounded. Let your arms hang down wherever you want to put them. Just get comfortable and just whew, breathe out. Breathe in. For the next two minutes, for the next 120 seconds, I'm going to ask, and I know for a fact that every one of you has a litany of things that you need to accomplish today and get done and all Man, I get it. I understand it. And all this week, man, and Sunday, man, all what's coming up this week is it's starting to mull in your mind for 120 seconds. Just two minutes. Just ask God to blot it out and give 100%, 100% of your attention to the silence of your soul so that the Holy Spirit can engulf you. Please. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, we're going to go on a journey. Because you know I love journeys, I told you. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, you know you can paint anything in your mind. God gave us such a wonderful mind, you can paint anything that you want. The Picasso and the Michelangelo is going to come in front of you in full vision here, right now. As I say it out loud, paint it in your mind. You are now in the back of that helicopter. Paint the cabin of that helicopter. You see it? You're in the back seat. Stand the pilots in the front left. You see them out of your right corner of your eye. It's all coming together in your mind. I see it coming together. You're laying on that back seat. You look out the window in front of you, small window. And you can feel the helicopter rocking back and forth. You feel your body moving in that back seat of that helicopter, looking out the window the jagged cliffs and rocks and snow 
and you're petrified as you pull your eyes back in the helicopter you look down at your body your clothing is absolutely shredded you see it it's no longer camo it's red because you have blood running down the back of your neck. You can feel it running down your head, running down the back of your neck, out of your sides, down, the, down your sides, because you're kind of sitting slanted, sitting up a little bit against the door. You can see the, luxury, the blood coming out of your right thigh, coagulating on the seat, and then rolling over the side of that seat, and it's like those blood drops are just in slow motion, and you watch a blood drop go down just a little bloop into a huge pool of blood on the floor of the helicopter and you're scared you're freezing cold think of how cold you are you've never been this cold in your life and then you pass out and you come to you don't know how long you're out and you pass out and you come to and then you ask yourself that question if I close my eyes right now and I never open them again. Am I going to heaven? Or am I going to hell? Perhaps the answer in your mind is, well, I think so. Somebody told me I was. But I, I, I sure hope so. I come to church every Sunday. I, you know, I mean, I, I haven't had time to think about that yet. Busy. That's something I got on my goals. Let me tell you something. In Revelations 12, there's the Lamb's Book of Life. Every single person that gives their life to Jesus Christ, their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Every single person that have given their life to Christ is written in this book. And in your mind, I want you to envision this book in front of you, right there in front of you. You're looking at the Lamb's Book of Life. Look at the page. Look at it. Do you see your name? Do you? You would have to chain me to the chair in this room before you could get me to leave without knowing that my name was etched in that book. You would have to chain me to the chair in this room because I would never go without my name. I knew it was in that book. Do you see your name? Do you want to leave here today and watch your name in your mind be written and cursed in that book? Do you want to know today that when you leave this room and somebody says, hey, are you going to heaven? You can say, absolutely. I unequivocally know that I'm going to heaven because my name is etched in the Lamb's Book of Life. I gave my life to Christ. Yes. How about you? I must say a prayer out loud. As I say this prayer out loud, if you want to know and you want to see in your mind your name be written in that book, you want to see it. When you pray this out loud, you're going to see your name in front of you. And you're going to see it be painted in front of you. If you want to watch that come to life right now, I'll say this prayer out loud. You just repeat it to yourself. It goes like this. 
Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you on the throne of my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I see you writing my name. I see it. I see it. I see you writing my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I see it, Jesus. Do you see it? With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, no one's looking. If you just prayed that prayer and you watched your name going to the Lamb's Book of Life, just raise your hand. I got you here. I got you here. Raise them up. I got you. I here. Here. Minister's hands up all over the place. Keep them up. I'm going to ask you, please keep your hands up. This is the most important moment of your life. You're going to walk out of this room knowing that no matter what happens to you, you don't control your life. You don't control what happens when you turn right at the light here. You have no control over that. If you want to have control, that prayer that I just said controls your destiny for eternity in the arms of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you again. If you just pray that with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, raise your hand proudly. Let me see it. There we go. We got more hands up now. Yeah. Raise, keep them up, please. Keep them up. I'm going to ask you, if you have your hand up, if you have your hand up, look up at me. I have something for you. I have something. And I want you to come receive it. Come. Please come. Come forward. I see you got your hand up. Come forward. Come forward right now. Please. Don't be shy. This is the biggest moment of your life. I can assure you, when Jesus was being taken to the cross, that was a very difficult moment in his life. It's hard to walk up front. I get it. There you go, man. Please stand over here. Please receive these and then stay. Please. Come. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, can I have a hug? Jesus loves you so much. You know that? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. in the book, man. There you go. There you go, partner. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Anybody else? I'm going to ask one more time, man. Walk out that door today and know that your name is in that book. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. For those of you who know someone up here, I'm going to ask for you to raise your hand. Who knows someone up here? Fantastic. I'm going to ask if you know someone up here and your hand is up to stand. Please stand. 
You're going to have two choices. I love binary choices. I'm going to pray this out. Raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to receive 100% of this prayer. And if you feel, if you feel the Holy Spirit saying, I want to walk I want to lay hands on this individual that just gave their life to Jesus Christ. You come. Come and lay hands on them. Come on. If you feel led to lay hands on someone that you know and love that just accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is going to spend eternity in heaven, come and lay hands on them. As I pray us out. <laughs> Heavenly Father, <laughs> no matter where we go in this world, no matter what the devil puts in our minds, you are a sovereign God. God, you created us in your image. You love us so much. Our free will is so hard to deal with, Father. But Father, these people up here today, they just gave their life to your son, Jesus Christ, and their names are now etched in the Lamb's book forever. They will never be erased. Father, I pray over this church, the body of this church, surround these new believers and show them the next steps and lead them because we are a church body. And together, we learn here, we get taught here, and then we go out and we disciple. That's what we do. We don't have a church and say, if you want to get church, come to us. We come here, we learn, and then we go out. We go out because the sinner's just not going to volunteer to come here every single day. we got to go find them. That's what we do. And I want to challenge this group, this firm believers of Christ followers, to live boldly and join us that you go out on your dented and damaged shield with your quiver empty and when you arrive to heaven Jesus looks you in the eyes and says well done my faithful servant well done ladies and gentlemen it has been a pleasure to be here today and we all said amen, amen. God bless you